in Psalm 95. Psalm 95. Um, click to that, turn to that. If you, uh, we have Bibles in the pews. If you want to use one of those, it's on page 499. Uh, we'll also have the text up here, but it's, I think it's good to have it in front of you. Uh, last week, we started this new series called Teach Us to Pray. As we're in the middle of a season of prayer and fasting, as we're talking about, we need to be connecting with the Lord. Um, we think if we were honest, the idea of prayer is something that if, uh, we know we need to do, we know should be done, but sometimes it's, well, what do you do and how do we go about this? And that's really what this series is about, is reminding us or teaching us for the first time, what, how do we communicate with God? What do we say? How do we go about this? Um, and last week, we actually started this off. We had a, a Pastor Mark talk to our entire church uh, via video, and he uh, presented us a message with uh, talking about pausing. We're using this acrostic of pray as our le kind of lesson guide, and he talked about pause. Uh, within the hecticness of life, within all the routines, within all of the never-ending, whatever yours is, we have the power, we have the ability to choose to pause. It is okay we need to give ourselves permission to pause at times, figure out when we can stop, when we can just breathe and be with the Lord, be quiet before him. We need to pause. We need to take the time to pause and focus on him, the creator of the universe. God Almighty wants us to talk with him. He wants us to talk with him about our lives, about our jobs, about our classes, about our families, about our neighbors, about our bullies, about our troubles, about our doubts, about whatever we want to talk about. God wants us to talk with him. But we have to pause. We have to stop. We need to be kind of remove ourselves from the craziness, pray during it too. But we need to pause and be with him. And that's really what this 21 days of prayer and fasting helps us do it, helps us reset, helps us get on that rhythm, helps us remind us that it is possible to do this, to pause. Uh, so that's what we started with last week. And if you missed that, actually you can go on to any of our tech stuff, you know, check out Facebook, check out YouTube, check, download the New Life app, and you can listen or watch that message and hear what Pastor Mark had to say. Today we're going to get into the second step of this, and that is to rejoice. Um, our second uh, word of our acrostic, uh, to rejoice in prayer. Um, what does it mean to rejoice? Well, tell, Scripture tells us that we need to rejoice. It says many places, but some really couple of focused ones that are concise and to the point. 1 Thessalonians 5.16, rejoice always. Philippians 4.4, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say it, rejoice. I love that verse because it's rejoice. And if you didn't hear me the first time, Rejoice. We have to rejoice. So what does that mean? So the idea of rejoice is excitement that can't be contained. When we're really excited about something, we have to talk about it. We have to share it. I, I love that show. Oh, that place is phenomenal. You have got to try this. No one has like somber, blank looks on their faces when they're using phrases like that, right? There's, it's something exciting, something that they're feeling inside is coming out of them. To rejoice is to be in a state of joy and well-being and to express that joy, not because of the circumstances I'm in, but because of God. 
When I rejoice, I have a reality, I know a reality, I'm holding on to a reality, the truth of who God is, and that excitement of who he is has to come out. I am finding joy within the Lord, and I am expressing that. And so it's an expression of the reality of who God is. Because of who he is, of what he's like, because of the things he's done, because of God's heart toward me, I know joy, I choose joy, and it bursts out. Uh, scholar Gordon Fee, he puts it this way, Christian joy is not the temporal kind, which comes and goes with one's circumstances. Rather, it is predicated altogether on one's relationship with the Lord, and thus an abiding, deeply spiritual quality of life. It finds expression in rejoicing, which is not a Christian option, but an imperative. And that last part of what he says, to know joy isn't something that's an option to people to fi- who have a relationship with God because to have a relationship with God produces joy. And so the scriptures tell us, God has given you this life, be joyous within it. It doesn't mean the circumstances we're in are necessarily full of joy, but the God who is with us in them is gives us joy. Does that make sense? And so within that, we rejoice. And that's what we, we are told to rejoice. And it's an important element in prayer. In prayer, we thank God for who he is, for what he's do, done and what he's doing. But also in prayer, we're reminded, we're reminded of who he is, what he's done and what he's doing. And that's what Psalm 95 shows us and what that's going to teach us. And so Psalm 95 is the text we're going to look at today. We actually haven't done this in a while, but I want to try to do this more and more as we move forward. Pre-pandemic, we were doing where whatever the, if there was one main passage that I was going to be camping out in, we would read that together collectively. Um, And I want to get back to that. I miss that. And so um, what I, what we're going to do is this this is how we, if you were never here when we did that, if you have Psalm 95 in front of you, what we're going to do is we're going to read this together. Not all up at one time, um, but what I, this is how we're going to do it. Whoever wants to read verse 1, just nice and loud, read verse 1. And then when they get done, whoever wants to read verse 2, pick it up and read verse Um, 2. And again, it's been a while since we've done this, so let let me remind you. It's really awkward and quiet until somebody just sucks it up and read verse 1. After that, it kind of, the dominoes start falling pretty well. But uh, Don't be shy. Whoever would want to start us off, just read verse 1, and then somebody else read verse 2, somebody else read verse 3, till we get all of them. So whoever wants to start us off. For he is our God, and we, and we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care.
Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together one more time. God, we come before you rejoicing. Help us to know what that means. And by that, help us to know the truth of who you are, the reality of who you are. Let us experience the joy that comes from you. Let us know that, God. The things that prevent us from choosing to rejoice, the choosing to hold on to the joy we have in you. God, help us to surrender those things to you. God, we thank you for the life that you've given us. We thank you that you're a God that's present, that's near, that's not distant, that's not far off, but you're with us and you want us to know us, you want us to hear you, and you want us, you want to hear us. And so teach us to pray this morning, God. In your name we pray, amen. So we need to rejoice. And if you work through and you look through, and thank you so much for those who read. I, I do, I miss, it's cool to hear the different voices as we go through, and so thanks for doing that. Um, as we go through, this psalm is going to break, break some different things down for us, telling us how to really rejoice. And the first thing it's going to point out is that for rejoicing, we need to be vocal about our almighty, great creator God. We need to be vocal about our almighty, creator God. Again, that first part, it tells us, Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise. Again, that idea of, oh, come, that's an invitation. That's like, move it. Come on, let's go. There's, there's a movement here. It's like the idea of the beginning of a journey, an invitation to worship him. And so that's the idea. It isn't like we're collectively coming to one spot and stopping there. It's, hey, let's go. Let's move as we worship, as we reach out, as we call to the Lord. We're invited, it says, to make a joyful noise to God. We are proclaiming, we are rejoicing to him. And it specifically says joyful noise. That's not a picture of like a worship chorus of like, I mean, our worship team does a phenomenal job. They did a great job this morning. But this is not necessarily what the picture is here. This is the idea of a shouting, of a make noise not like an unintelligible or like, a, like just like a grunting or something. It's not that kind of a thing. But it's a, I can't contain this type of a thing. To me, when I, the, word, the picture that comes to mind when I think about what this is saying as far as make a joyful noise, joyful, joyful noise is if you've ever been to like a school assembly or an awards banquet or a graduation type thing, and they say, okay, everyone, please keep your applause to the end. Have you ever been at a place like that? Just letting you know that I'm the type of parent that is not capable of complying with that request. When my kids come across the thing, it's going to be like, "Woo! that's my kid. You can make whatever dirty looks you want to me, and I'm still, "Woo!" One of you can come up to me after this service and tell me how wrong that is, and I shouldn't do that. And I'll be like, yes, ma'am. Mm-hmm, all right, okay, whatever. And then the minute it happens, I'm going to be, why? Because I can't keep how excited I am. For who they are, I can't keep that inside. And so it's, ah, it's my kid. And that's what he's saying here. It's God, creator. Make a joyful noise. To give yourself permission to not keep it contained. The Bible doesn't tell us to keep our applause to the end. The Bible is saying, let it out. Scripture is saying, let them hear it. Let it out. 
And why is that? Why does it tell us to not keep our applause to the end? For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. In his hands are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for he made it. And his hands form the dry land. Because he is creator. Because he's all-knowing. Because he's all-powerful. Because he's the almighty one. There isn't anything that we see that he didn't make. He is the great God, the great king. And in prayer, we proclaim this because it's true. We all, but we also do it because we need to be reminded that it's true. Again, it isn't so there are situations that we find ourselves in that are tragic. The situation that Christian and Sarah are in right now is difficult, is tra- tragic, is hard. They would not be rejoicing for that going on. But they can rejoice for the, to the God who is with them while that is going on. And they need to be reminded of who the God is that is with them while that's going on. And so that's one of the reasons why we rejoice in prayer is to be reminded, like the old Sunday school song says, he's got the whole world in his hands. I'm not going to sing it because I want to keep you encouraged. But the whole idea, if, if he means that everything is, if it, that is saying, and this passage is telling us, and what that song is saying, that everything is in his hands, then that means you are in his hands. And the thing you're going through, he is holding you. It isn't, it's God has you in his hands. In the best of moments and the worst of moments, I can rejoice in him because of who he is. I can rejoice in him because I need to. The truth of God needs to be proclaimed. It needs to be rejoiced over because it helps us filter out falsehoods of who he is filters out falsehoods about ourselves, about others, about lives. We need to proclaim him so that lies don't creep in. So what about God do you need to hold on to this morning? Or what about God do you need to be reminded of? What do you need to express gratitude for? What do you need to be vocal about? Again, when we, when we pray, we don't want to just jump right into asks. We don't want to jump right in, just right into requests. We're going to talk about that next week asking. It is okay to ask God, but we don't want to immediately start asking. God isn't a vending machine. We want to come before him. Again, not that what's happening around us or within us or anything isn't important, but we need to look to the God who is over all and who is holding us. We need to declare that and know whose presence we are in. Does that make sense? And so we need to, in prayer, we need to rejoice Be vocal about our almighty creator God. The second thing it's going to talk about is that in rejoicing, we need to be reverent toward our faithful covenant-keeping God. We need to be reverent toward our faithful covenant-keeping God. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our God, our maker. Again, the invitation changes. We've gone from people... Letting out a shout, not keeping it in, let us bursting with who God is, to now people coming down and kneeling and being prostrate on the ground. We understand the idea of bowing or curtsying before someone. It's a sign of respect. But th- think about a marriage proposal. So the guy gets down on one knee, a physical act to communicate love, admiration, commitment, and respect. And here in Psalm 95, we see a submission before God. 
a deference, an act of reverence before who he is. I mean, think about the body posture of those who were shouting, of those who were yelling, of praising. And now the intentional change, the volume stops. The volume is quiet at that point, and they bow down. They quiet themselves and kneel. It's a physical reminder that the worship is not for us. It's not for our own emotional experience or how we feel about it. It's one of the reasons why we need to be careful. We think about that. It's one of the reasons I'm so grateful for our worship team because they're not coming in to show themselves. They're not coming in to put on a show. They're coming in to guide us into the presence of the king. But there are moments that we see where it's like, you know what, I don't know if this is really a worship service, that it is just an experience that people has worship music. Does that difference make sense? God is not interested in us just having an experience. He doesn't even need to show up for those if it's just about how we feel. When we come before him, it's about him. It's about acknowledging who he is. It's about giving him praise, regardless of how I feel about it. And so we rejoice. We have to have that physical reminder that our hearts are directed toward God. Our bodies themselves and how we use them honor him. We bow down before him. And why would we do that? For he is our God and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Now, here in the city of Chicago, that imagery might not click. But we have this idea of this shepherding heart of one who seeks, of one who cares, of one who guides, of one who comes along. Again, just like I prayed earlier, he is not distant. He is not indifferent. He is not this super in the sky, away from us, indifferent, raw kind of a king. He is the one who walks beside us and cares for us and tends to us and gives us wisdom and corrects and all those different things that a shepherd does for a sheep. And it communicates this idea, he is our God. And we are his people. This is the the covenant that God has made with his people. The relationship that we have with him because of Jesus. We are his children. And so within that, we're coming to someone and rejoicing in somebody who loves us. We're coming and we're worshiping somebody who cares for us. And we're bringing our lives to him. God loves you. God cares for you. God wants to listen to you. And he wants to listen to the unedited version. God is not, like I said, God is not far off. God is not indifferent. God is not aloof. He is close to his children, and he welcomes his children. Scholar John Golden Gay says this, People do not have to wait to, to be specially invited into God's presence. They can assume a standing invitation. You have a standing invitation to come in before him and worship him. You have a standing invitation to come in before him and give him your life, knowing that he cares for your life. So what's the thing that you've been holding on to yourself? What's the thing you've been trying to figure out yourself? What's the thing you've been carrying on your own? I have it. I mean, we... We are all, I don't care how old you are, we are all perpetual infant toddlers saying, I do it. Me do it. I was walking through an airport the other day, 
and there was a little girl who was going toward the um, like moving walkway, and she started walking toward it, and I saw her. Mom go, here, let me help you. And she said, I got it. I do it. I'm like, no, no, let me help you. I have it. I do it. She walked up to it. Boom. Fell right in her face. <laughs> and I just, I kept it together. I waited before I laughed, okay? It wasn't there. She did not hear me laugh. I laughed, but the mom did not hear me. But we're all that little girl. All of us. You're laughing at yourself. You're laughing at me. Because that's what we do. Let me care for you, God says. Let me guide you, God says. I listen to what I'm saying in my word, God says. Me do it. <laughs> and so this is why we have to come to him in prayer, bowing down, being reverent, acknowledging that he's our God, but remembering the God that we're acknowledging. Everything that we were shouting about, everything that was true, He's true that to us. And so we can come before him. And prayer rejoicing helps us look up from our situation to the immense hugeness of God. But rejoicing in prayer also causes us to bow down before God in trusting surrender. And so surrender to him. Trust him. Come before the God who cares for you. And the last thing this is going to tell us is to rejoice. Keep your folk, heart focused on worshiping him. Keep your heart focused on worshiping him. It's kind of different because in the first two sections of this, it was come, make a joyful noise. Come, bow down. But then it says today, if you hear his voice. So there's like an abrupt change here. We've had these two kind of worshipful invitations and now the writer's getting into this kind of prophetic warning. Today, you need to think about this. You're, come and shout to the Lord in rejoicing. Come bow down in rejoicing, surrendering to him. But today as you go doing this, remember this. And he gives us these two different situations where the people of God were Meribah and Amasa. And it talks about, he's saying, don't harden your hearts like them. Don't harden your hearts like them. Again, this two calls of worship, this warning this, again, this deafening tone, now it's gotten quieter, and now it's completely silent. Two specific places, name, names, places are mentioned, which reference Exodus 17 and Numbers 20. In Exodus 17, if you want to write that down and read it later, Exodus 17, Israel quarreled, and they grumbled, and they didn't trust God to provide for them and to keep his word. If you want to write down the other one, Numbers 20, where that pattern continued and it became worse though. It was a refusal to trust God, to complain, to constantly want to go back to the way it was before. Again, it's Exodus 17 and Numbers 20. And so what is the psalmist telling us? As you make your joyful noise of who God is, as you bow before who he is, don't be like the people who complained. Don't be like the people who grumbled. Don't be like the people who refuse to trust God. We can't be like them, the psalmist is telling us. We have to learn from their mistakes. They allowed the difficulties to destroy their attitudes. Their hearts were hardened because of it. They allowed the difficulties to destroy their memory. They forgot who God really is and what he does and what he calls people to do. 
They were focused on their immediate difficulty, and they forgot about the God who was with them in the midst of the difficulty. They forgot about the God who rescues and saves and provides and miraculously leads. All they saw it was difficult, and they wanted to complain about that. This is what, I mean, it talks about God's anger within this. The language is that he loathes this type of behavior. He hates it when people only want to experience worship, but not live a life of worship. He hates it when people only want to come in and experience the worship show, but don't want to go day by day trusting him and worship. And so it's reminiscent with Amos, another prophet of the Old Testament. If you want to write that down, Amos 5. And I'll have the passage up here. God says this, talking about Israel. He says, and the people of God in the Old Testament, he says, I hate, I mean, God, God's saying, I hate, I despise your religious festivals. Your assemblies stink to me, are a stench to me. Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Though you bring choice fellowship offerings, I have no regard for them. Away with the noise of your songs, I will not listen to your music. But let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never-failing stream. I hate it when you just get together for the show, but you're not being people of justice and righteousness day to day. When you just come in on Sunday and for a gather to do your thing here, but you're not acting like you love me later, it stinks, God says. When you just want to do this, but not think about justice and righteousness later, I hate it, God says to us. And so the psalm is ending on this. You make your noise. You bow before him. But that's not for just our experience. That's to remind us of the life we're supposed to be living. Our lives, how we go about school, how we go about work how we go about day-to-day in our neighborhoods, how we parent, how we do our relationships, how we play, whatever it is, should be shouting to God in worship, should be bowed before him in surrender. We should be doing those things, proclaiming him and surrendering to him. It says in Hebrews 3 and 4, chapters 3 and 4, Hebrews chapters 3 and 4 in the New Testament deal with this very psalm. Reference back to Psalm 95. And in Hebrews 3, 12 to 13, it says this, See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, but encourage one another as long as it's called today so that none of you may be hearted by sin's deceitfulness. I mean, he's telling us, the New Testament is even warning us what the psalm is warning us. Shout out to him. Bow before him. But as you go about every today, be encouraging one another to live for the Lord, to trust the Lord, to be surrendered for the Lord, to encourage one another, to remember who God is and what it looks like to follow him. There are places that God has brought us to, there are places of rest for our salvation. There are places to be trusting him, to, be, to avoid the bondage that comes from sin and death. But rather than trusting God, enjoying our freedom, and preserving towards that promise, we get angry. 
We get disconnect. We fight. We grumble. We doubt God. We find ourselves in these situations. Rather than trusting him and having gratitude and praise, we get angry, we get discontent, we fight, and we grumble. And so we have to think about this. Could our endless exhaustion and frustration in life be caused because our hearts have drifted away from God rather than moving toward him? Rather than holding on to him and entering into his rest and fouling before him and making a shout for him? Maybe the reason why we're so exhausted in the difficulties. Maybe because the difficulties are so hard. And I'm saying this to myself as I'm saying it to you. is because we're not trusting him, but we're trusting ourselves. And so we, this psalm warns us, as we pray, we rejoice to thank God for the life he's given us. But we rejoice because we remind ourselves we need to be living that life. N.T. Wright, talking about this psalm, he offers up this prayer. Sovereign God, we praise you for your wonderful world, and we pray that you will replace our grumbles with gratitude and our questions with adoration. And so as you go through today, don't let it just, don't let it just be one hour on Sunday. Now, we need to be reminded here in the beginning of the year how much the rhythm of one hour on Sunday, how important that is. It's something that should be held sacred. It's something we should say no to other things so we can gather together, not out of obligation, not out of guilt, because we want to worship the Lord collectively with others who love him. We want to be encouraged within that as we go about our weeks. We need to do that. But after we leave this place, the worship has to continue. Everything that we shout out to God here in this place and everything we bow before him in this place, we have to do that when today is Monday. And we have to do that when today is Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and yes, even Saturday, even though it's the weekend. For some of us, especially Saturday. <laughs> and so today, worship him. Today, trust him. Today, proclaim him. In the midst of that, your thing, in the midst of the thing that you wrote on that paper, that little card, or the thing you're thinking about writing on that card, shout to him and trust him. We rejoice in our almighty God, and we come and we bow before him as our king. We're going to end today by receiving communion. And so I'm going to ask the ushers if they could uh, pass out the elements. Um, if you've never done communion with us, uh, we're going to